Hey everybody, I hope you all had a great weekend and that you spent some quality time with the special ladies in your life. I know we definitely had a lot of fun here. Uh, the last few weeks making these episodes have been fantastic for me. Uh, very uncomfortable at times and very educational as well, which is precisely where I need to be uh, to continue growing. Um, speaking of growth, our audience here has seen uh, new listeners and increased traffic consistently, which is all because you guys and gals have done a wonderful job of helping spread the word. So I've got a lot of a lot to be grateful for, apart from my wonderful wonderful family and the challenges of life. Um, you know, I also have all of you in the corner, and I say it every time, but it really does mean a lot to me that you choose to spend your valuable time here. So let's keep that going by subscribing and uh, spreading the word about this podcast and a quick message from the sponsors here before we roll into everything. All right, so with the ad out of the way, we can get down to business now. Fair warning, I'm going to strike a nerve or rather an entire nerve cluster with uh, some people today. Uh, as you can probably surmise from the title of today's show, we're, we're going to discuss what being a warrior means. And part of that discussion has to be reserved for identifying who isn't. And before we go any further, uh, understand that like all other episodes, this one is not going to be a pound my chest montage of how awesome I am, but that's just stupid. Uh, instead, I'm going to offer a definition based on my experience and personal study and provide some examples to help support. I'm not here to put anybody down or diminish their lifestyle or their dedication. The goal today is to preserve the legacy of warriors past and present and to emphasize the fact that adding the infantry values and warriors mindset into your daily life can change it and propel you to new heights as it has for me. So this doesn't come from a place of condescension, but from honesty, which will rub some people the wrong way inevitably, and that's okay. Um, now, the reason why this is so important to me is because I look at how warriors are presented to us here in America um, versus how they were in times past. The difference is striking, and you can see it in other countries as well, which um, can you know, be used to help illustrate and, you know, when we take a second to notice what's really going on here, it should raise more than a few red flags. I'm not going to try and keep it. I am going to try and keep it from from turning into a you know a political tirade because no good comes from that. You can you can watch Fox or CNN if you want to hear children bicker about other children. So we're going to examine this by way of dispelling a little BS on the front end and then by comparison of what it means to be an actual warrior versus having a warrior's mindset. And I'm going to throw myself out there again, but not in the way that you think, I promise. Okay, so let's begin by asking the critical question. What is a warrior or who is a warrior? In the literal sense, it is a man or woman who is solely dedicated to the profession of warfare. Now, I know that runs contrary to how it's presented to us, but just think about it. As an example, you can turn on the news for an hour, and you're probably going to hear something along the lines of, you know, a, a politician is, quote-unquote, fighting the war on drugs or the war for democracy, etc. 
another formerly uh, popular representation is the term, uh, quote unquote, social justice warrior. Okay. Uh, athletes. Athletes are a good example of this too. I'm sure many of you can remember a time when you know, you were watching a game of your sport and you hear the announcers mention a certain player's work ethic and they call him a warrior. You know, now, none of those three examples that I just listed are in fact warriors because they are not engaged in the preparation for or conduct of war by literal definition. The warrior's lifestyle is separate from all others. Just as the athletes, the politicians, and the quote-unquote peaceful protesters. Examine the time that each spends and how they spend it, and their priorities become very clear. Okay, So the protester stands in the picket line or shouts through a megaphone or, or hurls shit, literal and metaphorical, to express emotion regarding a specific issue. But when the event is done, they return to their normal lives, typically. You know, they may be arrested if they were particularly unruly or violent, but life goes on and it's back to the rat race of everyday worries for most of them. Elite athletes, you know, they have a definite purpose executed by clear and organized plans that aligns with their core values, which we discussed in the episode before last. And I'd highly advise that you listen to it if you have really great stuff in there. Uh, but many of their core values may match those of the infantry values that we've discussed. But they are ultimately meant to propel them to superiority in the arena of athletic competition. As such, their mindset is similar to a warrior's, but the skills of their chosen profession and the consequences of their environment are vastly different. Even in uh, you know, like violent sports, such as uh, jiu-jitsu or mixed martial arts and, and the like. And you can YouTube the training sessions of some of the best NFL players or fighters and see perfect examples of discipline and toughness and selflessness and many other virtues. Warriors do not hold a monopoly on virtue. That's not what I'm saying. All right, but go watch those athletes train. And if you can honestly tell me that they don't have a warrior's mindset, I'll be more than happy to debate. Okay. Now, politicians, they're a class under themselves. In America, most of them are not the self-made people that they claim to be. Many, if not all, are bred and kept away from the rest of us so that they can ascend the political ladder off their parents' heels. They are educated privately, exposed to a much broader world early in life and provided advantages that many of us don't enjoy. And that's all by design. None of the people in these professions perform in an environment that is, that is underscored by moral consequence to the degree that warriors do. Now, you know, like mountain climbers and uh, mixed martial artists and uh, violent protesters, just to name a few, they certainly do carry risk of death or injury, but to a much lesser degree in America. Even the politicians on Capitol Hill that, uh, that make decisions which affect the lives of actual warriors do so without any physical danger to themselves. Now, compare that to my active duty time and how it was spent. 50% of that decade of my life was spent deployed or on training operations away from family, 
friends, and society. Okay, the, the remaining half of that time was divided into further training from sunrise until like late afternoon, all dedicated to physical, mental, and spiritual development for the purpose of fighting and winning wars. Period. Now, no outside influences. You know, we, we had a singular purpose executed via definite plans, whether they were good or bad, and guided by the infantry values. So that's 75% right there. Half of the remaining time was spent on individual development because the culture and the consequences demanded more. Survival was never enough. Thriving in adversity was the goal. And the last... 15% or so was your time. This is how it was for me in the infantry and almost every other grunt that I know. And it was consistent in every unit and duty station I was in. So you see the difference? You know, that is all the evidence that I need to confirm my original definition that the title of warrior is and should always be reserved for those who are only competing and thriving in the arena of war. Now, we're going to take it one step further. Here's the, the torch and pitchfork statement of the week. Now, bear in mind my original statement of not sending this episode out of condescension. Okay, ready for it? Not all service members are warriors. Stay with me. Breathe. Usa. Let me explain, and then I'm going to throw myself into the fire here. Okay, I'm going in. Okay, so I'm going to go into my library to call on a book entitled Scales on War by retired Major General Bob Scales, who provides statistical analysis to support this claim. He paints a, a pretty vivid picture for us while identifying the manner in which Ordinary men and women can, can differentiate between uniformed warriors and everyone else or those that we refer to as pogues or person other than grunts. Okay. Now, Mr. Scales writes, who are these mostly men? A popular rallying cry for those, for those who want to redistribute the nation's wealth is the wealthy 1% versus the rest of us. In American wars, there is the other 99%, those who do not have to go to war, thanks to the 1% who serve. Now, a cynic might say that all the good citizens who shake hands with service members and say, thanks for your service, are really saying, thank you for doing this so my son can go to graduate school. He continues, the ones who do the real fighting and dying constitute an even smaller slice of American society than the honored 1%, quote-unquote. In fact, the United States intimate killers account for only about 0.02% of the population. And for the most part, America is clueless about the uniqueness of guys like these. I witness this sad perceptual divide every time I pass through the Baltimore-Washington airport on my way overseas. Take a moment sometime and walk over to the BWI Military Airlift Command Gate as young servicemen and women drag themselves through the dark corners of the customs gate to debouche into sunlight and the arms of loved ones and the hugs of grateful citizens. 
is an interesting study. A natural line forms. Single file, these desert sand clad youngsters shake hands as if they were walking off the court after an NCAA basketball game. The green crowd is always drawn to the American beauties. The first to be deluged is always a tall blonde air woman with tightly braided hair, smelling fresh even after 20 hours stuffed into a crowded aluminum tube. I look at her rank and badges and know from them that this is her first tour and that she has spent the past four months in an air-conditioned hooch, quote-unquote, with shiny toilets, running water, and an Anthony's Pizza or a Starbucks just around the corner. Walking some distance behind, bending under a heavy rucksack, is a kid who looks much older. He is not smiling. Most likely, he's trying to get around the pack and into a taxi that can take him to the nearest bar. His boots give him away. They are worn and discolored. He's pushed his trouser cuffs down over his boot tops to make his short stride more comfortable. If he is white, he is darkly tanned. Most of them sport unhealed blisters and deep scratches. Some show signs of having recently been wounded. And they all wear the same black badge. It is a long, thin rectangle about four inches long surrounded by a wreath. And if you look closely, you can see the faint outline of a Revolutionary War era musket embedded in the rectangle. It is the Combat Infantry Badge, the most coveted and respected piece of apparel in the military services. Because to those few who know, it is worn by a tiny percentage of the 1% who do virtually all of the killing and dying in America's wars today. Only infantrymen can wear the combat infantry badge. Now that passage is very eye-opening. Even to me, just, just to hear how wide of a statistical gap exists between infantry and special warfare operators and everyone else, uniformed or not. Um, he goes on and he cites specifically that in Afghanistan, the proportion of infantry deaths at the hands of the enemy is much greater, being 89%. 89% in comparison with all other occupational specialties. A lot of good knowledge in this book. I'd highly recommend that you all read it, okay? But from my own experience, I can recall on many occasions when, you know, we, we were, you know, training out in, you know, full kit out in the heat or the cold. And, you know, I'd be summoned into an office to square away any one of a million administrative issues. And, you know, you know the difference in environment was always striking. You know, I'd pass off my weapon because, believe it or not, Weapons weren't always allowed in every office, even on major military installations. And, you know, I'd walk through the door to the near orgasmic feeling of climate control and the wafting scent of hot food on the desk of a clerk that I was destined to converse with. And a few minutes would pass and then I'd return to the furnace or the biting chill to rejoin my squad and carry on. Um, the most vivid of those types of memories 
took place for me in 2010 when I was in Marja, uh, Afghanistan. And my battalion sergeant major at the time arranged for me to jump on a helicopter back to Camp Dwyer, which was one of the, the main hubs in the country, one of the big bases, um, you know, so I could see my brother. Uh, he was in another area fighting with a with a different unit who was also in, you know, a knockdown drag out fight just like we were. You know, so the squad, my squad was in a, a static position and wouldn't be patrolling for a few days. And this was, you know, a once in a lifetime opportunity that I took full advantage of. Um, you know, I also considered the fact that one or both my brother and I could be killed at any time. And after I arrived at Dwyer, where we had flown into several months before, I just stopped for a moment and took it in. You know, we had been in Marsha for about mm, three, four months at this time. Right. And it, it, it just, Dwyer felt like a modern city compared to the barbaric fields of Marja. You know, I had a few assignments for my higher ups to, you know, take care of. And, you know, I went to the massive supply warehouse to replace some broken gear. And, and, and every time I entered a building, it felt like stepping into a portal to another dimension. I looked at the administrative and the supply Marines from across their desks and they looked at me and it was like, we were both seeing a new species for the first time. You know, they had fake hardwood floors, running water, air conditioning, showers, a giant chow hall and a bed to sleep in. I had just come from an observation post that was so small that we could barely stretch out to catch a few hours of shut eye in between the bursts of machine gun fire that were sent at us. On top of that, we were so confined that one man would have to defecate into a machine gun ammunition can not more than five feet away from the rest of us. And trust me, it kills your appetite real quick, regardless of how starved you feel, which we always felt due to the sheer level of physical exertion. Now, regardless of that fact, regardless of how different their Afghan deployment was compared to ours. They still made the commitment and separated from their families to do their bit, which is honorable and admirable. Nothing can take away from that ever. All right. But it really goes back to, you know, the man in the arena, you know, men and women can compete in the arena of their choosing and may adopt a warrior's mindset to do so. In fact, the successful ones always do in some way whether they're businessmen or athletes or any walk of life. But unless that arena is the preparation for and conduct of war, and only that, they are not warriors. Now, I promised you I was going to throw myself on the fire too, right? So here it goes. In the literal sense, I am not a warrior because I no longer live a lifestyle that is centered around preparing for and fighting wars. And that's a, that's a big thing to admit when you care about something as deeply as I do about this. You know, I, I fight many battles every day. The battle for self-control, the battle to remain disciplined, the battle to learn empathy and emotional intelligence, the battle to, to, to develop inward and to lead my family in a way that they deserve. But right now, in this phase of my life, I am not a professional practitioner of the art of war. Now, why is it 
important for combat veterans to make this discovery. Well, because it reminds us that our previous stage of life may have been lived as warriors, but that is not where we are today. And barring a mass mobilization, it's not where we're headed. You know, if you're stuck living in the past, you'll miss what's right in front of you and fail to reach your full potential. Now, I still approach everything with a warrior mindset, and my past has left a permanent mark on my very soul. And while I would not trade that for the world, there is also no world in which I would sacrifice my life now to return to the former. Consider the conversations that normally happen between combat veterans. You know, they, they usually center around memories made during, during times of hardship and extreme adversity or, you know, about what they miss from that part of their lives. You know, and when we're, when we're asked by others, what do you miss most about your service? The answer, at least for me anyway, is always about the people. You know, I miss the people. I miss the bond that we formed through suffering and deprivation and challenge and adventure. I miss the fact that we built a culture that brought out everyone's true colors. No one could hide their true self for long. And I missed, and, and I still do miss, having that connection with people in which we push each other to be the absolute best versions of ourselves. Now, the point of that conversation should be, but rarely ever is, to figure out how to replicate that during this phase of our lives. Because the fact is that there are people right now waiting for us to find them and build those types of relationships where we can pour into each other and build each other into something special. That isn't a complete reflection of the past, but it is an updated version tailored to our current phase of life. But before we can do that, we have to come to terms with the fact that we are no longer in the warrior phase of our lives. We can't do that if we're unable to define what a warrior is. We will never even discover the direction we should travel to go through this process if we can't even define it. If you're a combat veteran, and you know I don't do this often, okay, but if... If you were a combat veteran and you think this makes sense, or you think this, or rather, you think this makes you less of a man to admit that you are no longer a warrior, I'm telling you that you're wrong. And very rarely will will I ever straight up tell somebody that they're wrong for something like this. But if that is your mindset, that has got to change. Otherwise, you will never be able to move forward. It's okay. It doesn't make you less of a man at all. You know, what would make you less of a man is doing what I did for many years after I got out. Clinging onto the past, trying to live off your laurels from that time of your life, and turning into a sloth. And setting a shitty example for your family. Not continuing to develop to excel. Or to find your true purpose, to establish your core values, to establish your mission, and to pursue it relentlessly. To not take no for an answer and to force life to submit to you instead of having life dictate everything to you. 
There is a difference between living in the past and learning from the past. Living in the past prevents forward progress because it soaks up all of your focus. Learning from the past is a very healthy process. And that requires deep examination and, and study of critical moments and applying the lessons learned in order to progress. You know, and, and, and even if you've never served a day in your life, you know, and the world just kind of hit you in the gut, like it has to me recently, and you fell into this trap of being stuck like I did, you know, take it from me. The sooner you cut the cord, the better off you will be. If you do this, if you commit to yourself so that you can be the husband and the father and the man that you need to be, that your family deserves, then there's no turning back. It will open an entirely different universe to you, full of endless possibilities. But you have to be the one to do it. No one will do it for you. Your wife can't do it. Your kids can't do it. The government sure as fuck doesn't want to do it for you. You are the one that has to take control and you have to establish what you want out of life. The best place to take control and start living the infantry values is right where you stand. It's not easy. It's going to suck. And it doesn't come overnight. But dare for more. You know, those of you that serve, you did once when you signed the contract. And you can do it again. If you do it for you, if you do it for the right reasons, the possibilities are endless. And if you need help, get in touch with me. I'll do what I can. You can find me at ST Blackwell on Twitter or, you know, my full name on Facebook. You know, for now, just think about what we've talked about here today. And, and if you still want, you know, to, to tar and feather me, then, hey, that's cool, man. You know, but you got to catch me first. Because I'm moving forward and I hope all of you are coming with me. So tune in for next week's episode. Like and share the podcast, everyone, and, and leave reviews. All of this really does help grow this thing, and you guys have been phenomenal. So thank you again. And as always, get savage and stay savage.